Welcome to the Configure Price Code podcast. My name is Frank Sohn and I'm the founder of NoCPQ Consulting. This podcast is 100% focused on Configure Price Quote, also known as CPQ, and will provide you useful insights into this topic. My guest today is Richard Hare. Richard is Senior Director of Enterprise Architecture at Informatica and is responsible for CPQ. He was recommended by Sean Joyce from Navint as a thought leader. And Richard is based in the San Francisco Bay Area. Welcome, Richard, to the CPQ podcast. Thank you, Frank. Glad to be here. Very excited to have you. As I mentioned in the introduction, you were recommended by Sean Choice as a thought leader, right? But before we dive into that, uh, tell us first a little bit what you did before you joined Informatica, I think four years ago. That's right. Yeah, I joined Informatica as it was uh, embarking on a, a transformation. Uh, but prior to that, I had worked at uh, Cisco Systems in, uh, in the Bay Area for 15 years. And uh, when I left Cisco, I was their principal business architect. And by principal business architect, I kind of led a community of, of you know, dozens of business architects throughout the company who were helping to transform Cisco into you know, a subscription company. And so first they went from hardware to software, and then they had to go from, uh, you know, from perpetual software into the subscription world with the acquisitions of companies like WebEx. And so in my background, a lot has been transformations in business models. And as anybody who's got a background in CPQ will understand, they know that Business models have a big transformational impact on CPQ. So uh, that's what I did for uh, before I came to Informatica. And then basically before I did that role at, at Cisco, I'd spent years kind of moving around the company, absorbing the DNA of finance, sales, you know, supply chain, uh, and so on throughout the company. So I'd got a, um, a big background in, in what the impacts of uh, CPQ can be both up and down the company. That's excellent because I think Cisco is also recognized as a leader in product configuration. We already had the, a number of guests here on the podcast um, as well as customers that I work with who all uh, gathered their first experience, product configuration experience at Cisco. So I think that's very good. Now, I know a lot of our listeners are always interested to know what our guests also do when they, when they don't work. So what do you do if, when you don't work? So when I'm not working, um, I've got a, uh, uh, an appetite for kind of adventure sports and outdoor sports. And uh, I dabble in a little bit of everything. Um, and so uh, when I find the time, I do everything. My main one is probably rock climbing. I spend a lot of time in the high Sierras. So that some of you that know California will know Yosemite National Park. Uh, you can find me at the weekends hanging off the walls in Yosemite. And I mix that up with canyoneering in Utah and sea kayaking, you know, in Mexico and a bunch of other types of, you know, kind of adventure sports. And then when I want something more sedate, I just go hiking. I put on a rucksack and I, I either backpack or just go for day hikes. Anything to – these type of sports are really good for clearing your mind. And if you're involved in CPQ, which many of your listeners are, uh, they know that eventually sometimes to get good ideas, you really have to clean your, clear your mind of everything and all the downstream and upstream impacts that you're worrying about. And sometimes you just got to basically reset. And so find a sport and activity that lets you do that. And for me, it's the great outdoors. Excellent. And I think you're in a very nice area to actually do that, which brings up one question also. Uh, what, what brought you to California? Um, funny enough, it, it was my wife's job that brought me to California. Those people with an ear for accents will tell that I'm from the UK. Um, I came to California 20 years ago. And I, uh, I was lucky enough that uh, my wife's job brought us here. 
And I went to business school for a couple of years. So I went to UC Davis, University of California, Davis, which is just outside the Sacramento area and did an MBA for two years. And that's where Cisco picked me up. It was the dot-com boom. And they, they, they rolled up and said, who knows anything about supply chain? And uh, uh, they hired me straight out of business school. So uh, I was lucky to do that. And that's what landed me in California. Excellent, excellent. No, I, I'm always interested, right, since I'm an immigrant myself, so it's it's always interesting to learn that. Anyway, so now you've worked for many years with Product Configurator Solutions, right? So when you would look at one, two, three key lessons that you have learned during that time, what would that be? Um, I think, so for me, I think it's really important to understand um, the couple of things I've come across is because I've been involved in transformations. The idea being is, is don't pick the configurator for the business that you're in, but, but, but pick the configurator for the business that you're going to be in, if that makes sense. Mm. So a lot of people basically, you know, they, they look at their current business and they take their requirements and give it to a vendor. And I think the challenge I've seen in transformations is, is that you know, you'll end up with a really good configurator for the industry you're in. And maybe you're going to find out that that now becomes a break on your future transformation. So it's really important for these type of decisions, some fundamental applications, and I think CPQ is one of them, is um, you need to know is it's going to support your future business. And so just because it can do the things you do today well, you need to speak to your leadership team and understand what the roadmap is and where the business is going, what's the routes to market, what are the business models, because if those aren't supported in your configurator, that you know, your acquisition, your project is actually going to be a break on the transformation of the company. It's going to slow it down. So I think that's the key lesson I've had is, you know, it's, I always joke when you talk to people on a human scale, when they're looking for a job and they give me their resume and I say, is this the resume for the job that you've already got? Or is this the job resume for the job that you want? And I think the same sort of lessons can be applied when you're shopping for software. And I think that's a great segue to my next question, which is basically since there are so many new developments right now in the CPQ space or the space around CPQ, what's the most exciting part for you right now, thinking about the business of tomorrow? So I think that you know, it, it sounds interesting. And um, I often say that the things that are new to industry segments that aren't necessarily new to the world. And so I think in the CPQ world, what we're seeing is a lot of tech companies are having to essentially adopt a lot of the business models and processes that we've for long associated with possibly business, you know, uh, B2C segments, um, and particularly in the, the telco segment. So that kind of you know, utility, subscriptions, you know, um, uh, usage billing, all of those type of business models are creeping into um, businesses that were traditionally just hardware sales or perpetual license sales. And we've seen that transformation you know, moving into more and more tech services. So particularly for the Bay Area, for Silicon Valley, we've seen essentially you know, the need for CPQs that can't just essentially you know, bill and invoice people for, and sell them a product at list price, but you have to start looking at usage pricing, utility, subscriptions, flexible terms, co-terminations, renewals. All of these type of capabilities are becoming really, really important in the CPQ world. And right now, you already indicated it earlier, you have been leading teams for quite some time. What's the most challenging in the current environment to lead CPQ teams? I think the, I think the challenging thing is that in leading those teams is that um, you're looking for individuals who understand not only how the configuration works, how this configuration pricing and quote works, but you want individuals who have the breadth of experience 
or at least are very quick learners and are very personable and they can work with those upstream and downstream users and get a quick education so that they understand what the impact of CPQ is and upstream and downstream processes. And I think that's the hardest thing. How do you find somebody that feels confident with you know, in the CPQ world, but also understands the implications to something maybe like multi-element arrangement revenue accounting? Hmm. Finding some individuals that have that, um, they've either got to have that experience because they've worked in different areas of the business or they've worked in different areas of IT, or they've got to be one of those people who are just naturally curious. You know, the, the type of individual in maybe the old world who would get a clock and then would take it apart and put it back together again because they were just intrigued about how it worked. You need, you, you need to recruit those type of people for those projects. And they're hard to find. As you can imagine, it's like it's saying, hey, for this CPQ project, I need to find somebody who has 20 years of work experience and they need to have essentially worked in revenue accounting they need to have worked in you know, sales forecasting. They need to have worked in sales compensation. They need to have worked in you know, physical shipment and supply chain. And they need to have worked in some sort of you know, product support organization as well. You know, you know, I've just basically disqualified most human beings on the planet. So you're looking for some rare individuals. So you might essentially, you either got to find people who are naturally curious and quick learners, or you've got to find people with that, those, that type of breadth of experience, or at least build a team that has that breadth. That is very challenging indeed. But now we already jumped right into CPQ topics. So let's take a step back here at the moment to talk a little bit more about Informatica and what your team does at Informatica. Okay, so the, uh, at Informatica, um, <clears throat> we're one of the world's leading companies in enterprise uh, cloud data management. And Informatica makes software um, for, um, uh, for, for largely for other large enterprises in the world. And our software helps people essentially manage their data. Now, that can be master data management um, in terms of the way they manage their product catalogs and the way they uh, uh, they manage their, their customer uh, databases, also the way they manage even things like it does as diverse as, say, their employees or um, you know, in the Internet of Things, the way they're managing devices. So we deal in the master data management world. We also deal with data integration, and that's where a lot of people will traditionally have heard of Informatica because they'll find in their IT stack, they'll probably find a lot of companies have got Informatica in their IT stack already, and so they use us for data integration. And that can be also application integration. So whether you've got an enterprise data warehouse or whether you've got um, uh, applications that need to be glued together, you'll be finding that Informatica technology is being used behind the scenes to do a lot of that plumbing. And then you know, other areas that Informatica is active is are things like data governance. And so many of your people, your, your listeners will have been involved in things like GDPR uh, as, you know, as, as personal information becomes more important and there's more legislation to govern it. And Informatica has the type of software that helps people manage their data, helps them discover it, catalog it, keep control of it and understand where their data is going uh, across their diverse tech stack and all their data stores. Um, we have the software that helps people do a lot of the data governance. So we can deal with all aspects, essentially, of, uh, of anything that's data. And we sell those software. And that, my joke is usually companies get pretty big before data becomes a problem for them and becomes a challenge. And that's when those large companies start buying Informatica software because we help those large companies manage the enormous amounts of data that they have. Makes sense. Now, then tell us also, where do you use uh, CPQ tools internally and why? So... Uh, in Informatica, um, our CPQ tools are, are a lot is a, an important part of kind of our you know our end-to-end -end value stream architecture, and 
we've had a diversity. Informatica is basically is had is basically at some point owned almost every CPQ tool that's on the market. So I think they've gone through big machines. Uh, then we went to Aptus, and now we currently use uh, Salesforce CPQ and billing. It's important for us because um, uh, prior to this transformation, we'd got a diversity of, of CPQ tools, and that was not uncommon in a lot of companies that have come from the traditional you know, hardware or perpetual software backgrounds. And um, um, the reason that came about is they often had a CPQ tool that did their initial sales, you know, that helped them to configure the software. And then they would often have another CPQ tool that dealt with um, essentially the renewals of maintenance associated with that software. So there was a diversification. So Informatica was just like many of these other companies, they had two CPQ tools. One optimized for selling that initial sale of software and another soft tool that was designed to do the re- optimize for doing renewals. So there was a bifurcation of the capabilities. Um, not to say that those software didn't have it, but we had one tool that was really co- you know, could do things like co-terminations, and we had another tool that was really dealing with you know, configurations. And, uh, and we had that bifurcation, but of course in the world of subscriptions, that gets hard, because now you want to have sales motions where the customer can buy software and can upgrade or modify their software in any sales motion, not just their initial sale, but also in their renewal flow. And that's hard to do with two tools. So basically, we embarked on a journey where we said we have to bring all sales motions together into a single tool. And so Informatica launched on a, an initiative where we would essentially deploy Salesforce, CPQ, and billing, which was formerly known as Steelbrick. And we deployed that as our single tool. And we also retired many peripheral applications. So we had Zora deployed for a small uh, go-to-market initiative that we had that was dealing with credit card transactions. So we've brought essentially all sales motions and all routes to market together in a single CPQ experience. So that's how we use CPQ at Informatica. Now, I hasten to add our routes to market today are relatively simple. Uh, The majority of our business is kind of like direct selling to large enterprise customers with influence partners, some government distributors, some other distributors. Uh, But we don't have large channel enablement. So with that direct selling, um, our tool is really essentially organized around our direct sales team and then partner sales teams who build those quotes for for other customers. So we don't have the diversity of routes to market. I certainly understand the complexities of routes to market because I've lived those at Cisco and, and previous companies. Mm-hmm. But that's how we use CPQ and Informatica as a as a kind of as a single pivot point for all routes to market. We we and all sales motions come through through our single tool. And since large organizations often use their tools globally, my next question is, do you see any regional differences in the use of CPQ? And do you have maybe any tips for our listeners that can improve the usage of CPQ globally? Yeah, I think you know, the biggest thing I think is, is that you know, the things that uh, I've almost got a checklist. Um, in fact, when I speak to you know, peer companies, when I'm speaking at Dreamforce events or I, um, um, I, I'm, I'm just... Uh, I'm a reference customer or something. I always have a kind of a checklist that I'm asking people, uh, describe me your business. And that checklist includes what's your, what are your routes to market? So you know, are you going direct to consumer? Are you going direct to business? You know, what segments are you dealing with? And what channels are you dealing with? You know, what's uh, channel partners' involvement? And then what are the business models? And so as you start to map that out, when people think about like global, it'll often be that you, know, you particularly find with tech companies, sometimes particularly in the US, they'll have a large direct sales footprint in, say, in the North America. But then 
when they move um, abroad, they'll start to, as they expand, they'll start to use more distributors and partners. And therefore, you, you know, when you talk about those type of things, I always think about, okay, how will a partner interact with our CPQ? And can they consume the products in the same way that our direct sales organizations can be? And so particularly in some of the, you know, the, um, when you're selling into the SMB segments, your partners can be a big break. And by a put break, I mean is that they'll put constraints on the way, all the capabilities that you might be able to enable for a direct market, direct sale, you may not be able to enable all of those capabilities for your some of your partners. And so I'm always very interested in you know the, the routes to market in different geographies and how they might impact the way you deploy the CPQ. And you can imagine that then backfires into um, areas like the way you design your product catalog. You may not be able to have one product configuration that works for all routes to market, for all geographies. And so those are the things that I think about. I think the final thing also I think about is pricing. You know, pricing varies. And I think a lot of us have experience of that dealing with global CPQ. We know certain, certain areas of the world have high expectations for large discounts. So you can't just rely on you know, a blanket foreign exchange rate uplift in your pricing when you look at your currency and pricing strategy. And you may have to have the flexibility that there are different expectations for different business models of what the diversity of pricing will be in different markets. So maybe professional services is expected to have different uplifts than, say, um, physical products or uh, subscription software. Uh, or they're expecting different, different differentials, possibly, between your perpetual license and your subscription. All of these are the type of things people have to think about, I think, Frank, when they're, when they're thinking about you know, moving into digital space. If you need to know what's happening in the CPQ world, have a look at our monthly CPQ Circle subscription. It has a state of CPQ, industry trends, news, tips and tricks, and an event calendar that shows CPQ-related industry events eight months out. Try it today, you won't regret it. Go to NobusCPQ.com, look for services, and then select subscriptions to sign up. Richard, what are the biggest challenges that you have encountered in your various CPQ projects? Um, I, think, um, I think the biggest thing always is, um, has been, has been I mean, it, it, I sound like a broken record sometimes, but it is almost the, uh, in the CPQ projects, it's almost understanding that most of the CPQs I've deployed have been for transformations. And so you've, you've got this comorbid issue that you've got not only have you got to support the existing business model and you've got to find a system or tool that supports that existing model, but you've also got to be able to support these new business models that the company is using to, um, to transform. Mm -hmm. And I think the two challenges are in the existing business model, you know, you, you've often competing with an application, particularly if it was an on-prem application that's being customized, you know, over maybe, you know, possibly, you know, 10, 15 years. And it's got all these bells and whistles that were built for all sorts of corner cases. And it's really hard to have those when you go live with a new application. So how are you going to bring that business with you if you've made the decision that you can't stay with your current CPQ, you have to move to a new? These legacy business models had all these bells and whistles. So change management is going to be really important, letting people know why the transformation is going to happen and why we can't stick with the current CPQ. Because most likely they're their legacy business models, which are probably big cash cows for the company, 
are not going to support you on the go forward basis. And, and so all those bells and whistles, you may not be able to support in your new CPQ. Mm-hmm. And then on the transformation story, it's like that's where you start impacting a lot of these upstream and downstream processes. So it's this double headache of keeping the existing customers happy and I think also being able to essentially figure out what will work upstream and downstream. Everything that gets demoed to you by your CPQ vendor may not be possible because of the constraints that exist in other parts of your business processes, your policies, and your, and your tech infrastructure. And I think that's excellent points. I think you also mentioned something in our prep meeting for the call about the realistic roadmap and how important it would be to have a minimum viable product, right? Can you explain maybe one or two sentences what you mean by that? Yeah, I think um, that the big problems, I think the challenge with any transformational project is if you look to change the world and you promise a delivery date, by the time you've looked at the scope, you'll essentially be looking at something that might be you know, a two or three year project before you deliver any value to the business. And the risk with anybody who's had experience of any two or three year project, whether it's an ERP implementation, you know, uh, a change in you know, supply chain software or even a CPQ, is those two, three-year projects have a low success rate. And it's basically because the business loses patience. It's, it was looking for that value. It's looking for some sort of progress. It's looking for some inspiration. And I think the two- or three-year project that essentially is the big bang, change the world, uh, the world will change while you're planning that project. And, um, and you'll get left behind. And most of those projects fail. People move off them. People lose interest. And um, and so essentially, they, they, yeah, they're very low success rates. So we look for the MVP. Find you know that roadmap that enables you to gradually transform your business. And it will be complex because from a planning standpoint, the big bang is easy because essentially you're just basically going to deploy the future state, but with massive resources and huge expenditure. The MVP and the and the transformational roadmap that maybe you know happens over those two or three years, delivering value all the time will go through multiple migration states and there will be some additional throwaway work. You'll have migration states that might only last for you know five or six months and you might have subsets of users that are in the tool but others that aren't and you're going to have to bridge those gaps. But if you can think about dealing with those complexities, what you'll find yourself is you'll be able to bridge that gap of essentially delivering value possibly within say three to six months and starting to bring different channels or different subsets or different geos onto your new CPQ. And you'll find yourself gradually essentially being um, 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 delivering value and getting some credibility. And I think that's where the MVP comes is. The first thing is your minimum viable product demonstrates that you can deliver some value. And, uh, and it also stimulates discussion. People really struggle when they're looking at whiteboards and your PowerPoint slides. But once you've got people in the tool and using it, that, those people are going to be the people that are going to start giving you real feedback. And, and if you do it well, they'll be your advocates. So I think that's my things with CPQs. I've tried to avoid big bang transformations. And it's, it's painful. You know? And you'll need more planning resources than you were possibly thinking about because you're not planning a target state. You're actually going to be planning, in addition to a target state, you might be planning four or five migration states. And so you'll need more architects and you'll need more project managers to help you figure out how do you move from one state to the other. I think that's excellent advice. Every customer should listen to that. No question about it. Now, uh, before we scare everyone with all the things that could go wrong, it would also be interesting to see uh, what, what are the biggest benefits customers can expect based on your experience. 
So I think you know, the enablement of new business models, um, if you choose the right CPQ, there's nothing better than being in a meeting of, uh, of uh, senior leaders in the business and them saying, hey, we're doing this big transformation. We're really worried. We've brought everybody together. There's going to be a huge kickoff. Um, it's going to change the business. Uh, these are the capabilities that we think these new business models or this route-to-market requires. And you as the IT leader, in my case, can sit there and go, yeah, it's okay. We already have those capabilities. We thought about them when we bought the CPQ. How quickly would you like to switch them on? Yeah, and the, the shock around the room, you know, will be often, you know, is, yeah, the, the dumb silence is, really? And it's like, well, yeah, we, we came and asked you about two years ago when we bought the CPQ, what was in our future? And you remember you told us about those things, and we actually made sure that when we bought the CPQ, we bought an application that either had those capabilities or was roadmapping them. So that's the exciting thing. And I think here's a, here's a little bit tip, I think, for people who are also looking for career development. I think if you're aware of those capabilities and you basically make sure that you're in line with your CPQ vendor and you know what capabilities are being roadmapped, more and more you'll find yourself being invited into those senior leadership meetings because they know very often if you don't have all the answers, you certainly have the right questions. And, uh, and I think it could be good pro career progression for anybody who's in the CPQ world is a lot of this now is the CPQ capabilities are critical to business transformation. And so I think uh, it can be good career development for people to brush up on their CPQ skills, understand these capabilities, maybe not everything that they, they are currently using, but what their vendor enables. And it could be really viable for their career and they'll find themselves in more senior level meetings as they discuss things like business transformation. Excellent. I like that. Now, uh, one thing is always important for CPQ is have users actually use the capabilities. Uh, and I was wondering, do you have any tips that you can share how you trained your internal uh, sales and channel sales teams to, to use the tool? So uh, what's interesting for us is that um, we've actually avoided uh, some of our sales reps actually using the tool. So it's interesting in that you know, one of the answers can be who should be in here and who shouldn't. And what we have with our field sales team to a certain degree is we get worried that with a CPQ tool, particularly for Informatica, because we do large enterprise sales. So you can imagine these are long lead time opportunities, you know, the life cycle of an Informatica opportunity in a large enterprise sale where the average transaction can be hundreds of thousands of dollars per year is that uh, and some of the deals can be big as millions. Then um, our sales reps often uh, aren't creating um, quotes frequently enough to become experts in the tool. So for our field sales organization, often what we've decided is, is that we'll actually put a, a group of quote specialists between them and the tool. So that essentially we'll actually um, have people who know all the bells and whistles and they're using the tool frequently enough that they become familiar with it that they can assist their field sales organization. So it doesn't mean that the field sales organization will then come in on a read-only basis so that they can look at quotes. They may have various quotes available for their customer at any one point in time. Um, but we'll have them in the tool but only on a, essentially on a read-only basis. We won't have them actually creating the the quotes themselves. So I think one of the interesting decisions about who's in there, when it comes to people like our renewals organization, they are much more active and they're, you know, they're, they're, you know, they're closing more deals on a more frequent basis. And so people like renewals people um, who are doing a lot of the upsell activity and are doing a lot of the amendment activity, those organizations, yeah, we have them directly in the tool. So I think one of the critical things for people to understand is who needs to be in there 
and who possibly would struggle to be in there. So think carefully. I think particularly if you're thinking about more complex configuration, um, uh, sometimes it's a good decision to figure out who you should keep out of the tool or certainly what their role in the tool is. Fascinating discussion, Richard. I could keep going here for a long time. I think we didn't even get through half the questions that we wanted to address, but uh, we have to come to an end for this episode. Now, if uh, one of our listeners has any follow-up questions for you, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? I say um, I do this to everybody who beats me at um, um, you know at Dreamforce and any of these other type of events. I said hit me up on uh, LinkedIn. So I'm Richard Hare. That's H-A-R-E. Uh, and you'll find me at Informatica and uh, just hit me up on LinkedIn. I'm pretty open to accepting requests. But if you can please reference in your request Frank's podcast, um, I'll know where you're coming from and um, I'll definitely accept your, uh, 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 your invite. Richard, thank you very much. Frank, it's been a delight to speak to you. I'd like to thank everyone for listening and hope you learned something interesting today. If you like the podcast, please go ahead and rate it on iTunes or share it with your friends and colleagues. In the meantime, you can find us online at www.novocpq.com. So long, everyone. 